You're listening to Industrial Evolution, where we're exploring how industrial enterprise leaders can use emerging technologies to stay competitive. I'm your host, Chad Perry, CTO, software engineer, and digital strategy expert, and I'm interviewing the most innovative companies in the world to reveal the future of how we make, grow, move, and power things. These are the pioneers who are shaping the future of manufacturing, agriculture, transportation, energy, and every other industrial sector. In each episode, we're looking at key technologies, state of the market, the challenges of adopting technology into an organization, and success stories of early adopters who have been able to revolutionize their business on the back of these innovations. You can find more episodes and guest information on our website, evolution.industrial.fm. Enjoy the show. Today, we're speaking with Oskari Lindstedt, American Sales Director for Rokla AGV, a pioneer of electric warehouse trucks originating in Finland that is now a division of industrial supergiant Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. Rokla designs and builds automated ground vehicles and more specifically robotic forklifts. And that puts Oskari squarely on the front lines of digital transformation where he is responsible for helping warehouses and distribution centers across the country become more productive and safer. But it's not as simple as just setting loose some robots in your facility because there are multiple layers of technology that make this level of automation possible. There is, of course, the actual robots that are built from scratch, which completely redefine the look and behavior of traditional forklifts. And then there's the software control system that coordinates where the vehicles go, what they do, and prevents collisions with other objects and people. And finally, there's the integration back to the warehouse management system, which is where the actual business value is derived from having intelligent ground vehicles. So there's a lot going on that has to be taken into account with people, process, information, and physical movement all together. And that's where Rokla steps in to guide its customers from the strategic decisions all the way to the ground level implementation. And Oskari is here to tell us all about it today. Oskari, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chad. And this is a really cool topic. This is very futuristic. But first, I need to get a little bit of background on how you got here. And how did you even end up in this position, coming all the way from Finland, now in the Americas, selling these highly complex systems? The background, shortly, I've been working with um, automation and warehouse storage, manufacturing automation, logistics automation for my most of my career, 15, 20 years now. And um, and how did I end up over here is, uh, as you mentioned, Rockla ATVs are part of uh, Mitsubishi Logisnext. Uh, that is uh, one division, the material handling division of uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. And uh, throughout the recent years, we've seen the we've seen the growth in the material handling and especially in the automation side of it. And uh, here in the Americas, the growth. Uh, is happening quite heavily during these years. So inside the large group, I got an opportunity to uh, bring the information and knowledge that we have um, uh, in in the factory, from the factory side to come here to the United States and support the sales activities. The first thing I have to acknowledge here is that this is the kind of thing that we see in futuristic movies, but this is real. I mean, this is this is real life. And this has been going on since at least since the early 2000s, because you guys were acquired by Mitsubishi, it looks like in 2008. And it's not like you just added some sensors to an existing forklift. This is an entirely new generation of equipment that gives customers better options for more specialized warehousing scenarios on top of the obvious productivity gains that come from automation. And that's kind of the story of Industry 4.0 overall is you get more specialization, but you get more benefits like flexibility. So tell me, why bother to automate forklifts in the first place? What has even made this possible? Well, of course, everything um, relates to the efficiency and doing things better, doing things more correct and um, and avoiding mistakes and uh, creating more value to the material handling process. 
ATVs, automated guided vehicles, actually automated forklifts, is a transportation system where, uh, as you pointed out in the beginning, there's a control software uh, controlling how they operate and work in the layout, and uh, then the actual vehicles that do the work, work that they are designed to do. But everything there uh, behind there is uh, achieving uh, better productivity, uh, getting um, savings and uh, avoiding avoiding mistakes, avoiding uh, damages to the products, being more safe, all these things that uh, all our customers, not not only our customers, our partners and ourselves in our own factories throughout the, throughout the world that we are all uh, looking at. Yeah, and I have to say looking good while doing it because the machines that you guys have, I wish I could show a picture over the audio, but um, this is this is very sexy. This is what you think of when you think of Industry 4.0, or at least when I think of it. So I'm curious, on a more serious note, how does this actually fit into an overall automation strategy? Give me like the 30,000 foot level of a warehousing company or, or a manufacturing company, any kind of industrial company that has warehousing and distribution operations, when do they start thinking about this? Well, thinking about automation in general, that um, clearly um, most of the movements and, and uh, material handling that is done, uh, all the sectors are looking for how to do things a little bit better, how to, how to get the benefits of, uh, of doing something uh, with less mistakes and so uh, automated forklifts uh, ATVs are a good example of that that if you have a lot of repeating actions something that is done day after day after day it makes much more sense to have a system carrying out those uh, transportation tasks than uh, having tying up personnel sitting in a forklift for doing such things one part of the automation process that we are helping our customers to do is that we can get the people to do much more uh, intelligent work or something where they where they are more safe and uh, they last longer in the in the work and at the same time getting then the then the benefits of um, productivity increase and better safety those are recurring themes that you hear over and over in digital transformation industry 4.0 it's freeing up your assets, your people assets to do things that are more creative, more, uh, that require more intelligence that machines can offload. But you also mentioned safety and you've mentioned that multiple times. And I know that you guys are part of one of the, the major global safety standards that you can tell us a little bit more about. I want to stay at a little bit of a high level for a minute. What is the state of the market relative to these automated ground vehicles. I remember 10 years ago seeing an article about Amazon and they were starting to use these little ground-based robots that were that were taking shell they were cobots essentially and they were they were helping pickers and packers do their jobs. And so we know this has been around. So can you kind of like take me back to the beginning maybe 20 30 years ago and walk me through what has happened with this particular level of automation? So Rockla ATVs, we've been doing um, automated systems since the early 1980s. So close to uh, close to 40 years now. In the beginning, the systems were uh, mainly in the production environments, uh, simple systems following a line and moving items between different points. Uh, at the time, that was quite niche uh, part of the material handling. But when we reached uh, this 2000 and uh, 2010, well, that's the last 15, 20 years, then we have seen the rapid increase in the automation in general. Reasons behind there, of course, is that the technology have uh, evolved and uh, developed quite much. Our ATV systems are based on the, what we call a fleet controller, controlling system that is purely running on, on the software so that it calculates the roading optimal way and um, monitors the whole fleet. So when we have the technology supporting the automation, so uh, PCs, um, servers, uh, all that related to it, when when that has developed better, then also our systems have easily become better. And that means also then that the cost for the for implementing any automation system has become more affordable and uh, ROI can be reached. Uh, much better in different applications than than uh, earlier, let's say, than 15, 20 years ago. 
in the past five years, uh, the biggest biggest development is maybe has happened in the high lifting applications. So simple simple systems moving items from floor to floor. Those are those are quite common today. Now more and more the automation is moving also the warehouses and uh, racking applications and uh, lifting high, which again uh, gives us a new opportunity to help the customers to get their processes better while increasing uh, automation one step at a time through the process. Today, I think uh, the HEVs you mentioned, they are looking good and looking sexy. Yes, that is part of the truth. Of course, we have uh, industrial designers looking out that that uh, all the interfaces, uh, the buttons and uh, everything that is in the HEV itself, that they are uh, self-exploratory and uh, so that it's simple and easy to understand uh, what each symbol means. But also the design is made keeping in mind that we need to work in quite tight aisles. So one reason of Rockla ATV is uh, we have a modular structure uh, with the units, meaning that uh, we have standardized uh, components that we combine together uh, in order to make the most optimal HEV that can work in a tight aisle and that can lift high and work precisely there in the high levels. So all this uh, now mainly driven by the technology development, not only the ATVs, but everything, sensors and uh, software around it that all together makes the combination of the uh, ATV system or or automated solution that we talk about. That has driven the place where we are today so that uh, it's Uh, We can offer more advanced systems to bigger and broader uh, variety of customers. There's a parallel to the development that we saw with information systems where you had thin clients, heavy servers, and then you go back to rich clients and, you know, take some of the load off the servers. But what you're describing with the hardware and how you have this intelligent software that that coordinates multiple vehicles, it sounds like there is this there is this dance. In the warehousing scenario where they have to work together, it's much more important to have the overall system design, right? Because how is a how is a vehicle going to know what to do unless you you have that information all the way f- originally from your warehousing management system through a coordination system. And so I think of it kind of in comparison to, let's say, Tesla's where they have their autopilot, where those machines, those vehicles have to be completely autonomous. But what you're describing is a more of a system, not so much a single intelligent forklift. You put it quite well over there, because yes, of course, if we think about uh, any process, it's the manufacturing process or warehouse process, then uh, there are different elements operating in that that area. So the key role and important thing is how to control all those actions and movements that happen over there. And this is where our big development has happened in the recent years and, and with, the, with the new fleet control as well, so that we can control the actions that we have there in the whole operating area, the whole uh, warehouse area where the HCVs are working. So not only where the individual units that that are actually the muscles that do the work, that where they go, uh, of course, they monitor their driving uh, locations and uh, safety around there. But then we have the control system that is looking after the whole fleet and optimizing the whole fleet actions. And with this then comes the actual efficiency also, so that we can minimize uh, minimize all the empty driving. And right away, when one transportation task is completed, we can we can uh, move to the next one that is the closest one over there and then uh, communicating with the other elements in the in the area as well conveyors and uh, warehouse management system because quite often there is uh, different systems uh, that operate over there when we can control them all effectively then we get the benefits of a fully automated good material handling system yeah, and I would imagine machine learning and and just the overall learning uh, learned body of knowledge of the organization and having served customers for the last forty years plays a role in being able to optimize and and create a more efficient network of machines. 
of course, being an MHI group company, this means that we have quite broad shoulders behind us so that we have our R&D has, has a possibility to think about and go forward and think about the things, not only what we do today in 2020, but what we should be doing 2030 and uh, beyond that so that uh, to stay in top of the development, but also uh, being the one that uh, creates the new ways of doing this even better in the coming coming years from now. Can you tell me a little bit more about the modularity of these vehicles that makes them so special? Because I know that you mentioned that you're able to provide a more customized solution, especially with respect to the long lifetime that these vehicles have and are expected to serve once a customer makes that investment. Modularity, that is the key uh, philosophy behind the units, the ATVs. Now we are not talking about the controls of the software or the system. We are talking about the actual ATVs that do the work. So Rockla ATVs are designed with the modular concept. And this means that we have uh, four main um, parts or sectors of the ATV. So we have the tractor unit, the pull unit. Then we have the carry unit. Then, of course, the mast. And then the last one is the load handling unit. But uh, we have um, standardized the tractor unit. That is actually that includes all the motors and sensors, uh, hydraulics, um, programming and uh, control system for the vehicle. Everything that is inside this uh, same tractor unit. We have uh, different um, uh, versions of that, so the small, medium size, and large for different applications, but all those are standardized, meaning that when we um, deliver the system, we know what we deliver to customer, and we know that we deliver the same uh, system not only to customer in Europe or the customer in the United States or the customer in uh, Asia, Asia or China on the other side of the world. So we have the same system globally available. Next things behind the tractor unit, we have um, the carry, which is then based on the application. Is it the counterbalance or a straddle or a very narrow aisle frame or what, whatever is needed from the process point of view? But again, that's more of than uh, just the mechanics. And uh, behind that, the mast based on the lifting height and load handling unit is it the forks? Is it the clamp? Is it the conveyor? What is needed from the customer process point of view? But the idea of the modularity is that we can have standardized components throughout all the fleets that we carry out, giving then customized solutions when needed to the customer. And important there is that when, when every customer, of course, have their processes, so we want to help them to, uh, to keep those processes and uh, we can quite well adapt into them. So uh, as knowing that the ATV system is only one part of the customer material handling process, they have lots of other elements there in the warehouse and, and the production that need to work together. So we, this gives us the flexibility to be there and uh, get the customer the solution that helps them to get the benefits that they are looking for. Second big benefit of the uh, modularity is that due to the uh, standardized components, we also then can keep the after sales very standardized. We don't have special systems somewhere that only one or two engineers can keep up. We have the standardized components that uh, are coming from the world-class manufacturers, so they're also available globally, worldwide. And knowing that uh, if and when service or possible breakdown happens and we need to go to do some repair works. All the components are known what is over there and they are the same ones that we use uh, globally in other other similar systems as well. And then of course that all ends up for the customer and our partners and for ourselves also means cost savings. So we can keep uh, the, the spare part stock that, that is needed to be kept up is much, much more minimal and uh, we can have uh, centralized uh, spare part warehouses throughout the continent instead of having everywhere uh, individual individual large packets needed in order to keep up that individual system. So the modularity that uh, Rockla ATVs have been based on since, well, actually about the same time when, uh, when we officially became part of um, it's a busy heavy industry. So 2008, that was the time when the, all the ATV production moved to the modular structure. 
Now, together with uh, with the support of the uh, MHI, we've been able to uh, develop this uh, this our production philosophy even further, and and we have noticed that uh, uh, it really works and brings the benefits. So we can design the HCV to be an HCV from the beginning, operating in a tight aisle, lifting as high as needed, and then keeping up the system with standard spare parts throughout the world. Right. And I'm sitting here drawing parallels to my background in software development and to anybody in a large organization who has been through any reasonable size software software implementation, if there's customizations involved. Anybody who's done that knows that the the after effects of that, the legacy support that has to go into that can be very, very painful and very costly if you don't get it exactly right. And even then, it still ends up being costly. So having something like, especially on, on the level of hardware, where you can't really make changes to this thing after the fact, you get what you get and you're stuck with it for 10 to 20 years. This sounds like a major, major selling point. In addition to the fact that you just have the general cost savings of production and, and you're able to pass those on to your customers. Yes, this is something that uh, uh, we actually, well, I'm personally, I'm very uh, excited about that. I've been, I've been able to be work with the company that has made these decisions, good decisions uh, already before me joining here. So it's easy to talk about this to, the, to our partners on the field here because uh, this is actually something that when, when the benefit is understood, it's something that, well, it's easy to agree on. Having said that, you very much describe this as a project-based implementation. This is not something that you just drop into a factory and walk away. Even even with large software projects, you can't do that. But you're talking about multiple layers of software, and now you've got these machines that are interacting with other physical aspects of the warehouse. So what does that typically look like? Like, How long does it even take to do one of these projects? Uh, well, of course, project business, it's um, throughout time is uh, quite long. The manufacturing of the components takes and the ATVs typically takes uh, some months. And um, after that, or parallel to that, of course, is done the more detailed um, layout design and um, creating the actual control software for that individual site. So this is office work that is done um, during the first part of the project and uh, but then when, when we get to the actual uh, commissioning meaning that sending the ATVs to the site there's uh, engineers coming up checking then the layout that what they have designed and um, on the drawing board that it matches the reality because well typically as you know that even how good autocad drawings you have uh, then something is not 100% correct in the in the drawing than when you compare it to the reality but going through the layouts getting everything set up and uh, then getting the system up and running. Well, the standardized uh, ATVs make it also easy that we can have the system commissioning up quite fast. So this means that, uh, well, of course, depending on the uh, system complexity, and now we're talking about the uh, three or four ATV system or 2030 ATV system. So it uh, it varies between there and how much how much uh, we need to be involved. Then taking, for example, the existing manual warehouse into the automatic mode. So good example is a paper reel warehouse that has been used manually. And when we transfer, uh, transfer that to the automatic warehouse where the ATVs do the transportation, then of course, in order to get the, all the reels uh, in the correct positions, uh, they need to be ran through one at a time. So this then can be a longer process that happens happens at the same time when when uh, the transformation is done. All these processes are done without interrupting the customer main process, of course, so that we don't stop paper machines or, or production sites because we implement ATV system. All these keep, keep running and going. But to your original question, how long it takes, typically we try to get the first implementation up and running within a few weeks so that then the, then the ATV system is already uh, starting to do the work. But what we have seen very beneficial for all of us, our engineers do not leave the site right away. We want to be sure that that um, the operators who will then work with the 
with the automatic system that they feel comfortable uh, using it. And uh, so we leave the engineers then to decide to do what we call babysitting for a certain uh, amount of time. Sometimes it's a few days, sometimes it's uh, several weeks, depending on the on the system and, and how how the customer also wants to uh, have it done. So all these uh, uh, projects that we do together. So big part of the big part of the project work, of course, is that uh, once the design phase already begins, then together with the customer, we go through the through the details and uh, discuss everything so that all the parties get what they are also expecting. So who is it that normally approaches you first? And, and what is the question or the, the questions that they normally have? Quite typical is that it's uh, either production manager or, or warehouse manager that is thinking about his own process that he is uh, doing in his daily work and thinking that how can he do it a little bit better. So this is the typical things that they the, that we get the initial contacts that uh, we have this and that kind of um, process and we would like to we have been thinking about automation and what could we do so what our hcv sales manager typical typically do and work with this is uh, quite much consultation work with the customers so together start evaluating that what would be the best part of the process to start with to begin with quite often it doesn't make sense to automate everything at the one time but we look at the process and then, for example, choose one warehouse or one part of the warehouse that we automate first and then um, move further after the implementation to the next side. This is also then the learning curve for the customer to see that uh, how what we were what they were thinking and expecting in the first phase that uh, can we do something even better for the next step of the process. And should we include then the manufacturing part of it? This is together with the customer evaluating that what is the best place to begin and then to create the project uh, based on that. That sounds like something that is very much driven from the bottom up or, or an example of a digital transformation that is driven from the bottom up. You're, you're talking about an op, a specific operational problem, the owner of that operational problem reaching out to you and looking for ways to solve a very specific domain problem. Do you ever get the other way around? Do you ever get maybe like a C-suite executive who is just looking for ways to improve their their operation? I mean, do they do they ever get down into that level with you? Yes, actually that is that is the other approach uh, as well. So that not only in material handling, but pretty much in all uh, industry sectors, uh, it's quite well known already today that automation brings savings, automation uh, brings um, productivity, and with that, uh, we can do things better to our customers. So this in mind, we also get uh, contacts that, uh, hey, now we need to do something, what we could do. And then we start analyzing that, uh, that what is the part again, where we can uh, get the, get the best uh, ROI in the beginning, and then move forward with the customer on that. Then one one uh, sector also where we are looking at is uh, of course uh, different kind of uh, integrator companies and uh, consultants that uh, constantly are looking for better ways that they can then uh, promote to their customer bases. So we do cooperation with quite uh, much with such companies, uh, telling what we know from the from the material handling point of view and uh, then of course then together with such partners uh, they can easier then introduce uh, what we have seen to be good solutions to the uh, customers that are that are looking ways of uh, doing things better in their processes and you mentioned ROI, which really is the core of, or should be the core of the decision to make any kind of investment, especially around this, where you're you're investing for the long run. And so I would imagine that if you're, especially if you're getting approached from the senior executive level, that one of the first questions they want to do, they have, is to gauge the... ROI that's available. So if I were just kind of approaching this 
as and I am as somebody who doesn't really know a lot about this particular technology. Um, what kind of what kind of ROI? What kind of my uh, transformation am am I looking at? I mean, you also mentioned implementing in steps and getting some sort of automation going without trying to automate everything. So how does that factor into ROI as well? Of course, it's it's uh, always a project base and process base uh, question, but some standard uh, estimation, of course, can be done. And we are talking about typically uh, quite often, often uh, less than a two-year um, ROI. But uh, also keep in mind that uh, when we deliver these uh, HCV systems, the lifetime is uh, uh, very long. So typically, the, we are talking about the system that will be installed for 10 years, but, uh, but the lifetime can be even 20 years when, when it's uh, maintained properly and done upgrades uh, and updates um, on the way. So the system lifetime is very long. So besides the uh, investment ROI, then also the uh, savings that will come in the long run, uh, those play quite important role in the decision making. And not only directly related to the system operating costs, but also then to the quality. And uh, so better quality, less damages to the products and uh, better safety for every personnel operating in the same area. Because keeping in mind that when we deliver uh, any automation system, there are quite strict uh, safety rules and regulations that we always need to follow. So there, there are no shortcuts for safety. So we need to need to be sure that whatever we deliver is um, 100% safe system. So this also means that whatever happens in the operating area, it's the HCV system that will always stop and let that uh, obstacle that they are coming across go first. So uh, all these together uh, can bring the decisions quite well to the, to the phase that we can move forward to the implementation. Yeah, and safety is just one aspect of risk. So, as an enterprise leader, as a as a as an executive, as a senior executive, or as an operational factory manager, warehouse manager, whatever it may be, both of those roles are going to have concerns around what is the risk of going forward with this. So, what are the what are some of the questions that you typically see around that, and how do you mitigate the risk, especially of dis- the risk of disrupting existing critical operations? When implementing an eight, uh, automation system in general, the question or concern that that um, often arises, at least at the beginning before we go into details, is that, okay, that what happens then if the system is not working? Are we completely down? Nothing happens, nothing moves when, when the material handling system system is down. Well, that's, that is, of course, a very good point to be evaluated. But uh, the HCV systems, uh, of course, there's a, when it's a system with different uh, units, HCVs, it can happen that something happens to one of the units. And for there, then we need to have a proper after-sales and uh, support and service system that we can get uh, that unit up and running as soon as possible again. Here we have a great benefit in the uh, MHI group that we are a global company. We have um, throughout the Mitsubishi Logis next, our Materiani division, we have um, partner service centers throughout the world. So when we deliver an automated system, we can rely always on the closest service place that we have for the forklifts, for example, where we can get then, then physically somebody on site to see what is happening. But maybe even more important is that um, as these automated systems, we will monitor, we can and will monitor these remotely. So we can also then all the control and software related issues can be done, uh, of course, with the permission of the customer that we can we can have access, access over there, but we can do everything uh, remotely. We have engineers working 24 seven in our service center that support the not only our customers in different continents, in different time zones, but uh, of course, because HCVs are very often used in process industry that runs 24-7. So uh, the support needs to be there available all the time. Minimizing any risk for, for the HCV 
system, of course, is to have the proper uh, maintenance uh, program uh, ongoing. So that uh, be sure that the preventive maintenances are done in time and then the components that uh, would be needed to be changed are changed preferably in advance, not only when they break. But uh, for this, we offer then the full coverage for our customers so that they can be sure that uh, when they go into automation, that the system also stays up. And if any interruption would occur, those would be uh, taken care of immediately. I'd like to point out as a side note that you mentioned remote monitoring of your robots. And this is actually something that you see a lot in digital transformation is the ability now with uh, global internet connectivity, with cheaper sensors, with all of the things that come along and drive in, uh, Industry 4.0, you see the ability to have these new business models, which can be revenue models, but more importantly, can be preventative and risk mitigation models. So that's exactly what you're describing to me. And that sound, I mean, that that's, a, that's an inspirational message in and of itself. That is a good point. And yes, uh, and of course, uh, when our R&D works, not only with the control system, but also the, what I mentioned, the muscles, the units itself, they become better. The technology becomes better. The components inside there become better so that the components inside there can tell already if they are about to fail so that we know that for when the next service is happening in two weeks from now, hey, this component needs to be changed. So small things like this here in there in the background that our our service uh, service department works with, they all in all make the system the the system that was delivered last year or two years or three years ago. Of course, constantly we keep it uh, getting better also during the time when it's in use. Now this is the kind of solution that touches multiple parts of the organization. So earlier we were talking about the fact that these are physical machines that run around on the floor. So you you have that aspect of it where anybody who is within range of these machines has their process potentially disrupted or supplemented or somehow have a stake in this. And then you've also got the software aspect of it. So you guys have to integrate your control system with the warehouse management system to even make this whole thing useful in the first place. And so that's very much an exercise in IT or the CTO or whoever is responsible for making sure that that software stays up to date, that software is integrated properly. And so I'm I'm curious from your customer's perspective, let's say a factory man or excuse me, a warehouse manager comes to you and is interested in this, how do they go about getting buy-in from the rest of the organization and coordinating all the different needs that go into this project? Good question. And uh, if I start first from the integration point of view, of course, our our fleet controller, that the integration, the interface is uh, very standardized. So we use REST API protocol for the in the interfacing uh, and integrating it to the customer warehouse management system, meaning that um, it's made uh, quite simple and straightforward to get uh, our system connected to the host or there. Then from to the other part of, of the question that how does the customer uh, production manager or warehouse manager know what to include? Uh, already in the when we what we talk about the sales phase which is actually the consulting phase together uh, we go through the different aspects of what is needed in the process so first of all what is needed to be done what they want to achieve and then we we define uh, what is the best type of unit to be there what would be the level of recommended uh, uh, software do we need to provide the warehouse management system part as well or is there already existing one in the in the customer side? And then those discussions uh, go further. Quite often there is uh, sometimes the IT department involved only to hear that how how in in the details our interface is, is done and how the integration uh, is happening. But uh, the typical way is that we have quite quite detailed. Um, questionnaires and uh, so where we define with the customer and to the customer that what they need to know and what they need to also ask from their 
their organization then in order to get the best best solution. Is that usually a pretty smooth process? Because I know with things like software, you can run into sometimes people have conflicting needs or views of the world and you have to reconcile those. Or is this something that is so straightforward that your machines are doing very well-defined tasks that there's really no conflict? Yes, actually, um, it is quite straightforward. Keeping things first uh, simple is a good thing. So we need to understand that what is the process that that, uh, the HCV should be doing. What we need to transport from where to where, and then how many loads per hour or per shift there is needed to be done. Once we get this information, then we first define that what is the best HCV type, or in our case, when we Trocla HCV is the modular structure enables us to find the best structure for this process for the unit itself. And then uh, knowing that what is the host that they currently are working with, can we uh, integrate it into it easily? Or if there is no host, for example, such cases also happen quite often, then we can propose that uh, we provide that part as well. Also, standalone systems uh, are delivered still, even though more and more today the advanced um, material handling systems are uh, connected to the host system with the and the warehouse management system. So the process itself is quite straightforward. We define and help that this is the, we would recommend this type of HCV. And we also based on the information, knowing that uh, coming from the customer, that uh, how many pallets, for example, are needed to be transported. We then calculate and recommend how many HCVs would be needed in order to carry out that um, process. Also, we go through then the energy calculations and uh, what types of batteries we recommend to the units. Is it a lithium or, or a fast charge or uh, what, what type fits best for the process? And uh, then with the energy calculation, of course, that's part of, the, part of the, our capacity calculation. So defining that in your process where you need to do this and that much transport within that time period, we need seven ATVs to carry them through 24-7. It's almost unbelievable how I would dare say simple it sounds because typically when you talk about automation, and again, I'm biased because I come out of the software world and, and software can get overly complex. This seems like it's pretty straightforward. Once you have an idea of the problem that you're trying to solve or the particular task that you want to do, you have the machines delivered, you have them integrated, everybody gets along. And away you go. And so maybe it's just that Rokla has has really dialed in the formula for that. Let's talk about a real world example of how well this can go. Actually, before I ask that, I was curious, have there been any issues with implementations where you ran into a problem that was unexpected that, of course, you were able to solve, but that was maybe just out there in left field? Problem is a heavy word, but yes, of course, this is project business. So something that is designed in the time when when we go to the agreement that yes, let's deliver this ATV system and then start uh, carrying it out. At the same time, often is some other projects customer has ongoing. So for example, the layout that we have been designing the ATV system for is not anymore the same at the time when we should be starting doing the commissioning. So small things like this, so changes to the original plan, those happen probably at some level in, in every project, but I consider this more to be a normal normal thing than, than a major problem. The key thing is that uh, when we design the ATV system, the more accurate and correct information we get in the beginning, then the more correct and accurate the system is then uh, in the commissioning. So if there has been lots of um, estimation or assumptions, for example, of the flows, then the capacity might not be the same in the end if the reality doesn't match the figures that that were delivered. But uh, all those then uh, can be and have been sold so that this is this is more of a normal for the project business. And maybe coming back a little bit to your earlier point that you mentioned that have we done something better or so? 
Well, I think we at least have done things very well. Uh, one key point in driving our our view of how the HCV systems and auto, not only HCVs, but all automation material handling systems should be uh, going is that it should be easy. Adding automation and implementing automation should not be a very complicated way where you need to have a special IT just as you mentioned, software team uh, solving problems because of this. We have a project that we ourselves call Easy HCV, so meaning that where that comes our fleet controller, the new control system, where the integration uh, is easy, it's standardized to the customer system. With the fleet controller, uh, it uh, manages the HCVs, the uh, how they run in the layout underneath their different. Uh, uh, parameters, for example, what we call road optimizer, meaning that it uh, finds the best road for every HCV constantly, finding new roads, better roads for the system. We have order optimizer, meaning that uh, when we get from the host, from the uh, parasite management system, uh, these transport orders, we sort them so that the transporting happens the effective way. But all this happening inside our fleet controller, we manage ourselves. And from us to the customer, to the host side, the integration and also then the reporting and everything that is easy and standardized and uh, simple to use. So that I think will be also the key in the future when when the systems get uh, more advanced and we can access um, even such areas that are not so commonly uh, used with uh, HCVs today, as long as we can keep it easy to implement and easy to use, then it's also then easy to get. I love that philosophy too. The simpler, the better, right? Let's talk about what this looks like when it goes insanely right. And I know that you can't, you, you probably can't uh, use specific names here, but there was one case study that we had talked about where you had a customer who needed to move around these multi-ton palletized goods and paper rolls. And so I'll let you kind of lay out the the scenario there. But what I'd like to start with is looking at what they were doing beforehand that drove them to start looking at AGVs as a solution. Well, I think that's a, this case in particular is a, is a good example of a quite standard way of how we then end up delivering a system. So we have a customer that is manufacturing and storing, uh, well, reels of uh, of um, items and uh, as well as palletized items, and uh, they need to increase their capacity. So they need to get uh, more out of the production and then a bigger warehouse. So the initial plan or their uh, their problem maybe was that they need to buy, make a new new warehouse between the production and uh, different production um, uh, steps and uh, this once they were going further they started to talk with uh, with this um, larger integrator that uh, that uh, proposed uh, that they should think about at the same time automating it instead of using uh, forklifts uh, they should consider that maybe automation would make sense now because in such an environment where there is constantly from the racking area to the manufacturing and then from the manufacturing back to the outgoing warehouse, there is the same transports happening 24-7 throughout the year. So first thing was then together ourselves and the customer and the integrator that we we started to investigate that uh, what types of fracking they were planning on having there. We gave recommendations that based on based on their needs that if if that is then uh, what would be the needed space for the HCVs. So typically that's that's an important thing to keep in mind that uh, as early as we can be part of the process the better end result we can have. Because if we can uh, have enough space in the turning areas, uh, 
then we can drive through there faster. We can drive in a very small, tight places as well, but then for the safety reasons, we need to drive there slower. So all this in mind that um, we could get uh, quite optimal optimal solution for the HCVs. So uh, in this particular case, we uh, we are transporting the reels and pallets from the uh, racking area to the production points, and then from the other side of the production, uh, then the, the uh, either directly to the outgoing outgoing um, lanes or then to the storage back waiting for the correct time. If you think about a forklift driving with all its mass, if it has a, a counter mass, and a five-ton payload, in this case up to five tons, that is a lot of energy. You can't stop on a dime. You don't want to do things like tight corners, obviously. So that to me sounds like something that you have to be very aware of what your constraints are. So I'm curious, was there any point where people were going to be involved in this or was this a completely sterile environment? No, it's not this way there are quite often most of the projects that we deliver there are people operating in the same areas of course so that uh, we do the uh, some parts of the transportation but like in this case as well it doesn't always it doesn't make sense to automate everything sometimes you have something very large item that you need to transport rarely so for that, uh, maybe the automated system is not the best case to have. So then you better system is that you have a um, more standard forklift over there and use that for that transportation whenever it comes. Uh, also then, uh, as this is a manufacturing environment as well, there are people running the, the customer actual process. So that what is their own, what they actually do. So do the keep the production running so people are working in the same same area from the hcv point of view there comes again the safety regulations and and our safety equipment that that relate to that so that all the time when the unit is moving it monitors not only itself but the area around it and make sure that uh, when we are driving let's say we are driving forward and we are driving two meters per second with the heavy heavy five ton load on then we need to uh, look forward so far that we know that if something comes ahead of us we know this something in the driving aisle we start slowing down and then if the obstacle doesn't go away then we will stop and all this slowing down and stopping will happen uh, based on the happen so that it's safe for the loads to stop and it's safe for the HCV to stop. So the faster we drive, the further forward we need to look with the sensors. And then the slower we go, then it's enough to look a little bit closer in order to be able to do the safe stop. And that's where intelligence and sophisticated engineering really come into their own. And we're not talking about just driving from point to point. We're also talking about the actions at the begin, beginning and the end of the transport as well, because in this particular case, they also had automated shelving and, re and retrieval machines, which I didn't see a picture of them, but I would imagine they're similar to the way, if you've ever seen the old tape drives where you have uh, enterprise data centers, they would have these robotic arms that would translate across and then translate up and down to get a tape at a certain grid location. And so it seems like you'd have the same thing, but you have the interaction between these two machines. Who was it who approached you for this particular customer? And how was it that they stated their problem? It sounds like you state their problem as they essentially needed more capacity. So they were expanding, building a new warehouse. And then somebody suggested that they automate. So is that where the conversation started? The conversation, yeah, started actually for this case, uh, so that customer noticed that what they need to do, and then they contacted different suppliers where we heard about it, of course, as well. But as it included then other elements, then we started working this together with our integrator partner. So the discussion happened actually between us and the customer and the integrator who then introduced the racking part and, and the ASRs system to this same uh, delivery. They were different, quite often also this is, this is the case when, when doing a project so that there's uh, not only the customer and us, but there is uh, somebody providing the ASRS and then there's uh, some new conveyors and uh, some other elements there to this same project where the 
where the HCV is uh, one part of it. And depending on the project, uh, sometimes it can be that we are the one uh, delivering a more complete system. Or then if it's if it's true, like in this case with this uh, international integrator company, then they they took the responsibility of, of uh, having the other elements working together with us. What kind of ROI were we looking at here? I mean, is this is this something that was a no-brainer or was this something that the customer had to actually step back and say, okay, we want to make sure, we, we feel like it's an obvious move to build, if we're building a new warehouse, you make it as automated as possible if you're going to get 10 to 20 years of investment out of it. Was there ever a point or is there ever with any customers that they look at this and say, you know what, we would actually be better off just driving forklifts with standard human forklift operators? Well, in this case, it, it was quite clear that the automation is, is the only good way to go forward because uh, having this one made, let's say it's a new new warehouse there, completely new one, and having that made, um, let's well, old-fashioned ways is because I'm an automation guy. That's, that's maybe to point out would not have made sense. The first year investment maybe would have been lower, but then because uh, of the total total savings and all the benefits coming out of the automation uh, for the 10, 15 year lifetime, no way, no way that something else would have been more, more efficient. But yes, as pointed out earlier, uh, not everything uh, makes sense to be automated. So that there is clearly uh, some applications where the manual handling is uh, makes sense. So either it's a smaller smaller uh, movements, or then the load is uh, is uh, something very different. This sounds like a broader lesson of digital transformation. That is, don't automate everything. Automate what makes sense. It's it's common sense, right? But it is something that we have to keep in mind when we're making these decisions. You're a lot less at risk of getting overly excited and purchasing something if it's a multi-million dollar pound euro investment. But in general, it sounds like the approach is valid. And it sounds like you guys have really figured out how to make this work for your customers. You're there as a partner. You're there from the very beginning all the way through to the support making intelligent decisions on behalf of your customers about how you build and maintain your products, and then also helping them make intelligent decisions. So on that note, we need to wrap up. I'd like to find out if there's anybody out there who is considering this form of automation, what is the best next step for them? Do they reach out to you or is there some other resource that they can access? Looking at uh, all the potential customers, we have um, Mitsubishi Logis Next, uh, both America's and Europe websites websites up where is good more information about uh, automation solutions. So uh, both in Europe and here in Americas, we can can be easily found. Uh, also then to contact your closest MHI uh, contact or company, they are aware of of uh, how to get reached to us or then directly to us as well. We are always happy and uh, excited if and when we hear about uh, projects. Because the beauty of this work that we do is um, not only to sell some gadgets, but we can together design and define projects and make this is at least something that I enjoy a lot. So that uh, you create something together with the customer that makes their life and process better. So we help them and we really do. And not by just providing some uh, steel or software somewhere, but the process that we have together analyzed, first analyzed, then found what is the correct solution. And then also uh, tuned that up so that it's the optimized solution for that customer, for that application. All right. I think that's it. Thank you so much, Oskari. Really appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? We are proud and happy to deliver Rockla HCV solutions in the MHI group because, I, as I mentioned earlier already, uh, the broad group uh, makes it possible for us to deliver the excellent solutions, but also develop them so that in the future, our offering will be even more better than today. So we want to be in the front line of this development side as well. And when we can be the best in the 
development side, then we also can help the customers to find the best solution for them. So please reach out when, when you have a question. We are happy to help. That's why we are here for you. And MHI is Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. And I do want to just summarize what you just said there because I think it's so powerful. And that is the lesson to me, the takeaway for me is that anytime you're approaching automation, but especially something like this, you really want to find a partner who is going to take you forward from that strategy all the way through the whole journey. That's what digital transformation is all about. It's a journey. It's not a one-off event. So on that note, Ascari, thank you so much. Thank you as well.